perhaps we could turn to the scriptures and read together in the Gospel of John. John's Gospel and read together in chapter 13. thought it would be prudent just at the beginning of the weekend to direct our attention to the person of Christ in this very familiar section of scripture. Three short readings. John 13 verse 5. After that he poureth water into a basin began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in chapter 15, we read together in verse 2 every branch should be that beareth not fruit he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit he purchaseth it that it might bring forth more fruit now ye are clean through the word which ye have spoken unto you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye Abide in me. <clears throat> I thought just at the beginning of our time together to just pose the question from this section of scripture. What does Christ expect from my life? Now in these three sections we've read, in chapter 13 he will address the matter of our feet. In chapter 14, he'll address the matter of our heart. And in chapter 15, he will address the matter of our spiritual development. When he's going to speak about our feet, the question is this, how clean is our walk? When he'll address the matter of our heart, the question is how settled is our affection. And when he'll address the matter of our communion in chapter 15, the question is this, how fruitful is our spiritual development? How clean is our walk? How fruitful is our development? And how settled is our affection? You will appreciate that in the Word of God there are three particular areas of responsibility brought before us. There is the area of responsibility of the king and the area of responsibility of the priest and the area of responsibility of the prophet. Now when you come to the king, the king's job is to bring God to men. Or represent God to men. The priest's responsibility is to represent men to God. And when you find that somehow 
God's communication is not getting through to men. Or men, through their condition, are not getting through to God. God will raise up a prophet. God's emergency man. To deal with the breakdown in God's communication to men or men's relationship to God. So that when John writes his gospel, he will divide it into these three sections. In chapters 1 to 12, he will present Christ as a prophet. In chapter 13 to 17, he'll present Christ as a priest. And in chapters 18 to the end, he'll present Christ as a king. Now you might then wonder, why does John write his gospel in this way? A prophet, first. And I would submit to you this, that the opening chapter of the gospel is all about the relationship of the Son to the Father. So our minds are being focused on the matter of relationship. Now, where would you bring such a Christ? Well, says the Spirit of God, I'll bring him to a wedding. Because a wedding is a scene where we celebrate relationship. And yet, what we discover is this, is that in this relationship, things had broken down. There was no wine. And wine speaks of joy. So what you find is this is John opens his gospel and presents Christ as a prophet in order that he might, as God's emergency man, deal with the matter of a broken down relationship. And you can see it. The wedding in John 2. The relationship of a mother and a child, if you like, in John 3 with Nicodemus. The relationship of the woman or the relationships of the woman in chapter 4. And you come to chapter 5 and there's a man there in a condition for 38 years. And he has no man to help. You can see it. Now why do I mention that? Because having laid the foundation of a broken down relationship and a prophet who's come to resolve it. He then comes to 13 to 17 and he will bring before us a repaired relationship. And into that relationship has come his disciples. And yet, as the Savior would anticipate his departure, he would want to deal with them on these three areas. For the maintenance of relationship. Clean feet. A settled heart and a productive growth. Now, if you just let your mind bruise through, your, through the Gospels, I would ask you this. What was the first relationship, what was the first miracle the Saviour performed in Matthew's Gospel? It was this. On the leper, I will be thou clean. What was the first miracle the Saviour performed in Mark's Gospel? It was the man with the unclean spirit. What was the first miracle the Saviour performed in Luke's Gospel? It was the man with the unclean demon. 
And what was the first miracle the Savior performed in John's Gospel? It was in relation to water pots that were for purifying, but were empty. Now what's the point? The first thing the Savior needs to establish in our lives is that we might be clean in relation to our walk. And exhibited in the first miracle in each of the four Gospels. Well, as Peter is faced with this prospect, he said this, You'll never wash my feet. Says the Savior, here's the choice. You either, you either have your feet washed, or you've no part with me, not part as in salvation, but part as in testimony. So that as Christ would handle our feet and emphasize the need for clean feet and clean walk, we need to appreciate this, that without it, we'll have no part in profitable spiritual testimony for Christ. The second matter is not so much our feet and our walk, but the second matter is the matter of our heart. And as he looks at the disciples' heart, he sees that it's not a settled heart and it's not a settled affection. And the reason is this, is that they're going to be taken from sight to faith. Now I know we walk by faith and not by sight, but for them, their faith was according to sight. They'd seen him, they were watching him, they were with him. But there was now going to be a time of departure and it unsettled their heart. And it disrupted their affections. And they were troubled. Change does that to us, doesn't it? Christ leaving. And in his absence, there's going to be a, a disruption of affection. And heart. What does he say? He says this, listen, for a disrupted heart and, a, and an affection in turmoil, remember this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Now why does he bring that in? in the, I know that you'll say to me that he, he brings it in relation to Thomas's, uh, 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 the question, but I want you to go back in your mind to the Garden of Eden and think of these three things. Was Satan's first ploy not to disrupt the truth? Says Christ, I am the truth. Was Satan's ploy not to disrupt the life through the introduction of sin so that man might, in dying, thou shalt die? Christ says, I am the life. And was the result of sin not that the way to the tree of life was guarded by a cherubim. What happened? When sin entered, way was affected, and truth was affected, and life was affected.
and in an environment where affection is troubled and heart is unsettled, the Savior knows that's when the adversary come in, could come in and disrupt our way and our life and our perception of the truth, a disrupted heart. And is that not what Satan did with Eve? Her first affection, affection was towards God until he comes in and disrupts it. And the Savior establishes, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now what about the last? He's going to speak about our development. You know, I've, I've never met a Christian yet who's been wholly satisfied with their spiritual development. And many of us can look back at times and it's been maybe a bit of growth and maybe just a step back and, and, and so it goes on. Says the Savior, just as, just as it's imperative that um, you're, you're marked by cleanness of feet and cleanness of walk, and just as it's important that you're marked by a, a settled heart, please appreciate this, that in abiding in him, what is vital is a closeness of communion. And you know, I don't know, I don't know what, I don't know what you'll hear this weekend that you've never heard before. And I don't know what areas of scripture you might be taken into that you might not have considered in these ways before. But let me say this to you. The crux of our spiritual development depends upon our daily relationship with God. I remember when I was a young man attending Bible readings in Scotland, and there was a man there who was, a, to me, a giant in, in spiritual things. And I said to him, tell me this, Mr. Ray, what advice would you give to any young man just growing up in the things of God? And he paused for a moment. And he said this, here it is, cultivate the art of communing with God. That's John 15, abiding in me. Now you might say to me, just a minute, what's the difference between prayer and communion? You remember in Genesis chapter 18, in the matter of Sodom, God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham spoke to God, and the word of God says this at the end of the chapter, and God left communing with Abraham there. What was happening? God spoke to Abraham, and Abraham spoke to God. And that was communion. Is it not the case that we're too quick to get on our knees, in our homes, lay out our petition before God, then we're up and off? Before, in the quietness of God's presence, God has the opportunity. But just as we've spoken to him, he, through his spirit and through his word dwelling in us, can speak to us. And the answers to our prayers sometimes go to our minds unanswered because we pray too much and commune. So little, says the Savior, if we really want to develop, make sure that we address that vital area 
of communion with him. And in the richness of a developed relationship, he will in 16 place us out into the world in testimony for himself. May God grant over this conference weekend that each one of us would just be drawn closer to him. And leave saying this in a, in a filthy world. I want to be marked by a clean walk. And in its, all its turmoil, I want to be marked by a settled affection. And whilst everything would militate against us as the people of God, I want to be marked by fruitful growth. And if you were interpreting John 15 strictly, fruitfulness is not so much fruit in the gospel, and that's vital, but rather this increased likeness to Christ. May God's Spirit perfect such a thing in each one of us. Now,